1: Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm
2: Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. This show is all about sharing inspiration, uplifting stories, and practical career advice from innovative, original thinking, and pioneering women from around the world.
1: You can find us here every second week. Or why not sign up at don'tstopusnow.co
2: so you never miss a show. Plus, you'd make our day if you could rate or review us. It really gives us a boost in more ways than one. It sure does.
1: Now it's time for this week's show. Hello and welcome. Today we are so very excited to share a conversation with the truly fabulous and globally known best-selling author, TED speaker and incredible roller skater, Amy Cuddy.
2: That is right. And yes, we are talking about the Amy Cuddy, whose TED Talk on the benefits of power poses and holding an expansive body posture has had 69 million views and still counting. This is, depending on the day that you happen to look, the second or third most viewed TED Talk of all time. So this is a big deal. Incredible. And of course,
1: I was truly gutted to have missed meeting Amy, but I have to say, you were the woman for this conversation. <laughs> Thanks. You and Amy, you know, actually you've got quite a lot in common, haven't you? When it comes to being former ballet dancers, current roller skaters. True. Very different standards though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah true. But yeah. <laughs> And you're both really passionate about supporting women in the
2: workplace. Yeah. Look, I was pretty excited, I have to say about this. And I Absolutely loved our conversation. And what was so great is that Amy is just simply a great human as well. And you know, you were missed though, Claire.
1: Yeah, thanks for that. (laughs) Yeah, it was such a shame that I was interstate that day. Yes. I
2: was really sad, I have to say. Exactly. So you will hear this incredible conversation with Amy. Now, one thing to note is that we had limited time, so we don't really talk much about the work on posture and power that's made Amy famous to date, and nor do we cover her first best best-selling book, presence, which also details more of her early personal story, including a serious head injury when she was at college. What we wanted to do instead with our precious time with Amy was focus on what she's working on now. Plus, of course, I did have to fit a little bit about ballet and roller skating um, in as well. Now, I have to say there that Amy is a ninja roller skater and I am a beginner, but there you go. Yeah, but of (laughs) Of course you did. Of course
1: you did. Yeah. And what Amy's working on now, ahead of her new book due out next year, is bullying, particularly in the workplace. Something she unfortunately has some pretty extreme first-hand experience of,
2: as you'll hear her explain to Greth. Yeah, absolutely. So in this episode, you'll hear how Amy isn't letting a broken jaw stop her. I kid you not. She'd just broken her jaw when I met her. How common workplace bullying is, what to do if you're being bullied, and why the chance to roller skate every day makes Amy that much more creative in her work. This
1: is a really fantastic conversation with lots to take away. So enjoy this conversation with the unique, brave, and insightful Amy Cuddy.
2: Amy Cuddy, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be
0: on here with you. Uh,
2: We are so excited. And to have you here in Sydney, you may not know it, but we are big fans of your work. We cite you in our leadership development work that we do with tech companies a lot. Thank you. So it's really special to have you here. Thank you so much. And a question we ask, all of our guests to start with is if you were at a dinner party and you were sitting next to someone you hadn't met before and they said,
0: so Amy, what do you do? How do you typically answer that It's question? funny. I mean, because we moved from Boston to LA a few months ago, in part because dinner parties in Boston were all about what you do for work. Like, and in fact, right before we moved, we had been invited to some lunch And the person who was a friend emailed and said, Oh, Paul hasn't sent his bio yet. And I'm like, it's a lunch. Like I thought it was a lunch with friends. So now I love being in LA because, you know, I roller skate every day. I mean, that's, and that's not my full time job, obviously, but nobody ever says, what do you do? Our community is so incredibly diverse and you don't know really what anyone does. And you love each other nonetheless. So So right now I would probably say, well, I spent a lot of my time roller skating, but if, but I would probably challenge people a bit and say, if you're asking me, what do I do for a paycheck? You know, I can tell you that as well, but it's, it is complicated in my case because you know, I'm a social psychologist, which most people don't don't know what that is. So if I start with that, they're like, oh, you know, are you analyzing me? You're like, no, I'm not a clinical psychologist. So usually I say I'm a psychologist and an author. I do a lot of public speaking. I was a professor for a long time. And then I just let it go from there. They'll ask questions about one of those things. Exactly.
2: No doubt. Depending on their interests and the like. Exactly. Now, I was a professional ballet dancer. And
0: I know you danced. I know, I can't believe that.
2: And I've started to learn to roller skate. But you know, what was it that made you from that kind of physical world want to become and enter the world of academia and social psychology?
0: You know what? I really think I mean I always was one of the smart kids, you know, and I grew up in a very rural community where most people did not go on to go to university. So I kind of did a little bit of everything. I never felt like I had to choose until, you know, I had this very serious head injury when I was 19 that got me interested in psychology. Although it also set me back and took, you know, it took me four extra years to finish finish college. So I got into into psychology because of the head injury. And then once I started a PhD program, you kind of stopped doing everything else. It's all about your brain and you're almost looked down upon if you are, if you have hobbies So I think that's sort of what happened. And then I feel like I spent 20 years kind of in that way of being and had let go of parts of myself. And then as kind of part of the pandemic, you know, I started thinking, I want to be in touch with those parts of myself again. And also, I don't want to feel like I have to hide them because I don't think that that makes me the most productive or creative anyway. Like, why should I hide half of who I am when I'm at work. And so I started to do that again, although I should say I also was a roller skating waitress through college, and that's how I paid for college. Amazing. And so I spent a lot of time on roller skates, so that was not hard to get back into. But the other thing for me was I used to see a lot of live music, and now I do that again. And I mean, I see probably two shows a week. It's incredible. And my son is a 21. He's a musician now, so it's, we get to share that, which is great. Yeah. I do think there's something
2: about the time of the pandemic and – you know, I was going through, my father was very ill and he passed away. But if you've had a very physical kind of early life, I immediately saw out physical challenges. I bought the roller skates because I used to be a roller blader and I started to learn to surf.
0: Well, it's like something that feels so gratifying. The learning curve is, I mean, you feel it, you feel the growth, you feel stronger. And I really feel like the more physically active I am, the better I am at writing.
2: And it just totally feeds into the thesis that you're and concept that you're, you know, iconically well known for, which is the mm-hmm. mind body connection That's, and power poses and yeah. posture. And you know th- that brings us beautifully to the iconic 2012 TED talk. And a, another guest of ours, Rachel Botsman, spoke at the same I was event. Just
0: talking about Rachel. Yeah, in my Last interview. That's so uh, funny. Classic.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. and you know, there you are, you'd sort of not even heard about TED until a few weeks, you know, sort of a a short while before. What were your
0: expectations and how did the reality differ? I, and it is funny that you point out the dance connection with what I study. I mean, dance is body language. It is in a way the, the most sort of profound example of communicating through only physical movements right with no words and someone said do you think maybe that's why you're interested i was like oh my gosh of course i am but i did not know what Ted was when they called and asked for me, asked me to give a talk which is funny because a lot of people are like oh and she had this whole plan and I'm like <laughs> no not clever enough to have had a plan like that first you don't know if your talk will be posted you really just want to get through it and you feel vulnerable enough just speaking in front of like you know five hundred or a thousand people live. Then there's this waiting period before they post it. When it was posted, and it we watched the numbers just roll. I wanted to hide under my bed. I felt so exposed. I felt like, why did I do that? People were immediately coming up to me on the street. My son was, you know, much younger and he did not like it because people would come up and be tearful and they would hug me and say, I feel like you were speaking to me and I'm his mom, you know? So he's like, how does a stranger feel this connect, this kind of intimacy with you? Yeah. And it took me a while to adjust to that. I now love that people are sharing these sort of, their stories are like gifts. So I love that. And he's adjusted. And now it turns out, you know, he's 21. And when he became a teenager, he's like, oh, girls love your TED Talk. You know, it turned out to be a good thing for him. But in many ways, it's opened doors. And in other ways, it's it's created a lot of hardship. I mean, you know, I've dealt with a lot of abusive treatment from people. Some people I know, some people I don't. That would not have happened if I hadn't, you know, become a tall poppy. That's hard. I mean, I there were moments where I think I wish I hadn't given the talk, only because I wish I ha- I didn't have to deal with that kind of incredibly abusive behavior. Most of the time, I'm glad. And I know that people, it's like a song that people love and feel was written for them. They interpret it in a way that's personal to them.
2: And there's, it's no secret that, you know, particularly from academic circles, you know, for one part of the research, there was some real controversy and then you were attacked and many, many people thought it was went way beyond professional um, criticism and I believe Absolutely. you even had death threats and they're like, how do you... Pick yourself up after that, and
0: how do you restore your sense of self confidence? What I mean, did you do? It's you know, that's what I'm writing about now. And you know, just in the signing line, I met someone who went through something like this, and she said, I feel like my voice was stolen. And that is exactly what happens the facts of your life are stolen from you, and it is so depleting. You don't feel human, you feel like a shell, you just don't want to exist, even. It's worse than any physical injury. And it's funny because, you know, I just broke my jaw. Well, yeah, you've had a few. Had, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I know. Um, but the, I feel like it's not that I'm accident prone. I'm just active. Yeah. And that's what happens. But when I broke my jaw a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in the ER and I, I honestly was thinking to myself, I would have this happen a thousand times over have being bullied again once. Like that's- That is how horrific it is. I feel lucky that I had a really supportive spouse and I had a very strong sense of who I was. I very firmly believe in my sort of philosophy about life. I love people. I think I'm pathologically optimistic and I believe that I had an opportunity as a social psychologist after a few years of going through this to explain it in a way that nobody has before and maybe change it. And, and, you know, give bystanders the tools they need to recognize it and stand up and not let it escalate because, you know, bullies who don't have audiences are impotent. It's the audience and the audience is the bystanders. And if they start turning away from the bullies, then bullies are just jerks. Like, bullies without audiences are kind of just assholes. Sorry. Yeah. No
2: and you know you've got this new book coming out next year and um yeah bullies bystanders and brave hearts is it going to be out globally in April or just in certain markets I don't know stage, and yeah. it's,
0: part, it's partly because um, we've got a presidential election oh yes and you know it involves some candidates that have profoundly sort of engaged in bullying behavior yeah and we don't want it to be tied forever like tethered to that mm-hmm. I don't want it to be just about politics. So there's, on the one hand, you know, maybe it would sell more because of that. And on the other hand, I want it to be a timeless book. And for people to be able to relate to it in exactly, workplaces. Exactly. And, yeah. and not think I'm just surreptitiously writing about a particular person. And so from your research, how common do you think bullying is in the workplace? It's so common. I mean, it's it depends a bit on how people define it, but mm. About a third of people have experienced it as a target to some extent, but almost everyone has observed it. And even bystanders who aren't doing anything to help, they are observing it and they are injured by that. It does poison the well. It's like injecting a toxin into the building. When you observe it and you see no one doing anything, you start to shut down. I mean, We know that organizations that have a lot of bullying don't function well people are less creative they're less likely to share ideas teams fall apart and there's clearly no psychological safety don't, in that kind exactly. of environment exactly and even you know like it is very common in medical settings and it can lead to the worst possible outcome like deaths of patients because people are afraid to share information yeah i mean that's horrifying so bullying absolutely is hurting everyone not just targets so i guess to answer your question again like it's almost everywhere
2: Yeah, it's so disappointing, isn't it? And what's your advice? Because you've been through this. You know, someone's listening now and they're going, I'm in this situation. Someone is absolutely targeting me. What is your advice to them?
0: To find other people who've been through it. One of the things that bullies do, they isolate targets from each other. And so you feel like you are the only person who's experienced this. And you feel like you're losing your mind because what's happening is so unhinged that you feel like people won't believe you i mean you i mean you are being gaslit in part because the bully wants to make you out to seem crazy and paranoid so finding other people and that's one of the things i really want to be able to do with this book is bring people out like help people find each other and this will help people to be able to talk about it exactly and to find to have sort of circles of people who can support each other and share their stories, so they don't go I wasn't losing my mind because it doesn't matter if you are working in the dairy section of a grocery store or you know a famous celebrity the pattern of bullying is the same it looks the same it's incredible. It works the same way no matter where you are. And so sharing those experiences is to find other targets. It's been like a salve for me.
2: That's really interesting to hear. And has your research found that women are sort of targets more frequently? They are
0: more frequently targets. It's not as big a difference as one might expect. There certainly are a lot of male targets, but yes, women are definitely significantly more likely to be targeted. And White men are more likely to be bullies than any other group. But there's a real interesting, I think, interaction between bullying and prejudice. I think bullies exploit prejudices. So they, it's not the same thing, but if they can exploit a prejudice that their base has, they are going to be much more likely to get traction in their campaign to destroy somebody.
2: Right. And what's your advice or universal request to those of us who may have realized we've been bystanders in the past and more importantly are bystanders in the current?
0: The first is really honestly to understand how it escalates and how it might start with something small like a microaggression that seems like not a big deal. But that's the bully's test. They're testing to see if they can mistreat this person. Will people tolerate the mistreatment of this target? And if people don't stand up for that target, it escalates so quickly. So first to understand how it works and then to inoculate yourself against it before even standing up and doing anything to stop it. People have to stop signal boosting bullies. Like, don't share a tweet. Don't laugh at something that's snarky and mean spirited. Stop amplifying the voices of bullies and know that they're using all kinds of, you know, logical fallacies to trick you. Don't, you don't they don't care about you. They're using you. You're just a weapon for them. so I, I would think that people would not want to be fools who are being taken advantage of to carry out the agenda of someone who's not at all aligned with them. So pay attention to anything that's a personal criticism of someone. Is it really warranted? And what? Wh- why are you even involved in signal boosting that criticism?
2: And is that your kind of key definition of bullying? That sort of very personal.
0: It's more than that. I mean, it's it's a prolonged, sustained right. campaign yeah. that involves discrediting, That's diminishing, fine. gaslighting, you know, stigmatizing ostracizing a person to until they are disappeared and that could mean that they leave the, the job and most targets of workplace bullying do leave their jobs The estimates are around 90 to 95 percent either are fired or leave the job or leave the field or are moved to a different department the bully is able to spin it so that the target is seen as the problem because the target doesn't go to HR, but the bully forms a relationship with HR. So it's seen as a personality conflict and the bully wins because they've gotten people on their side. So that disappearing and, and it's, you know, the rate of suicide is very high among bullying targets. So once a bully fixes on someone, they really don't stop until they've in some way disappeared that person.
2: It's, yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? And particularly in this day and age where we're becoming so polarized and so divided and misinformation, you can just see that the climate is rife for this now.
0: It's amazing. We can't, yeah. You you don't even have, like, journalists aren't even checking. The the bully story is out there. They've seen it in one reputable place, so they just repeat it. That's completely wrong. Like, I do so much, I spend so much time correcting the record, and I've got a lot of Documentation that I'll send, you know, and 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 they'll say, oh, we're so sorry, we, you know, we'll change it, but it's kind of too late because it, it's already out there. Yeah. Well,
2: I can't wait. Hopefully, we can talk about this again when your book comes out because it just seems so of the moment. Now, you mentioned your jaw. How are you? And I'm okay. Are you going yeah. to roller skate oh, again?
0: Oh I can't. Like, the minute I fell, <laughs> there were two things. When I fell, so yeah, I did break my jaw in two places, and I broke ten teeth and lost some and. And then had the surgery about five days ago to repair the jaw. So I've got some metal. I know. Thank you for being here. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to be here. But when I fell, I thought two things right away. Well, first I was like, I'm good. And people were like, you're not. Just stay, stay down. But then I was like when can I skate again immediately? And there's no way that I'm canceling any talks. And my husband got there like 10 minutes later and I was like, I can't cancel any talks. I'm not canceling Sydney. And he's like, well, we'll just see how that goes. But I didn't cancel any talks. So no, and I think have, I have to keep going. I'm that kind of person.
2: You've been a phenomenon because I gather you're just on fluids and
0: everything. It's yeah, just Oh Yeah, that's been tough. Oh, the fluids only. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm glad to hear you're going to roller skate again because I have to say as a beginner roller Skater, you know I've been watching all your great Insta posts, but I thought I don't know that I can take this risk because I <laughs> was a
0: freak accident. Yeah, it really was. Yeah,
2: and Amy, another question we ask our guests is, what does success look like for you?
0: Oh, uh, I mean, for me, it's you know feeling like getting up in the morning, having coffee with my Australian husband who makes my coffee ninety three degrees, you know fifty seven. Like it's all a whole process. Having coffee outside. And spending my day doing this, you know, variety of things, interacting with people, walking to local shops, you know, being able to have a life where I can have quiet space to write and also to interact with people and to continue kind of pushing myself in creative ways. You know, so now I feel like I'm in a place where people are so much more creative and so much more open to It's weirdly a combination of people being individualistic and collectivistic at the same time. So everyone's allowed to be themselves, but the community is also very supportive of each other. So I don't know, to me, I feel like my life right now, except for the broken jaw, you know, I'm doing, it's doing that variety of things and being around people I love.
2: That's fantastic. And we're so glad that you're being creative and allowing that time and can't wait to see the new book and thank you. The, re- the rest of the work that is going to come no doubt in the future as well because as I say we really value your work we you. absolutely cite you all the time in our programs and uh, we know women in particular really respond
0: well thank you and, so much and if listeners want to learn more about you or your work you've got a website got website just amycuddy.com I'm very active on LinkedIn and Instagram so I would say those are the two places to follow me. Me. I'm off X. I de- deactivated yeah. that account. So yeah. You and you were not that. alone.
2: Well, yeah. Amy, thank you so much. It's been so great you to talk are. to you and we appreciate it all the more because of oh, um, you. you're such yeah. a trooper. Thank you so
0: much.
1: Wow. How incredibly resilient Amy is about her broken jaw and flying halfway around the world seven days after surgery. It's just incredible.
2: Yeah, I know. Look, she was an absolute trooper while she was in Sydney. Amy ran a workshop. She gave this massive talk at him very big conference and she signed books and she did a couple of interviews and sometimes you could tell her voice was a little bit raspy because she'd had the intubator down her throat. Yeah,
1: absolutely amazing. And, you know, I really like that you can tell how authentic Amy is. Mm. You know, it's not necessarily what you would expect from someone who's as well known as she is.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and after our conversation, I'm really looking forward to reading Amy's new book on bullying. In this ever more kind of like divided and polarized world, I think that so many of us end up being bystanders to things where Amy's tips will really help us to, one, firstly, identify and be more conscious of microaggressions and bullying for what they are. And then secondly, I think they'll really help us to step up and speak out.
1: Yeah, so important. And, you know, after what Amy went through, it's hardly surprising she left the world of full-time academia. Moved to the other side of the country and is now truly living life to the
2: full by the sounds of it. Yeah, she certainly is. You know, and I also want to jump in here before we wrap up with a big shout out to the World Business Forum Conference team for putting on a great event and being so helpful and bringing Amy to Australia and allowing us to have access. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, that's this episode done and dusted. We've got some amazing guests coming up, including our next episode featuring an amazing children's doctor in Lesotho in Africa. So stay
2: tuned for that one. Do that indeed. And in the meantime, stay well, stay positive, keep on skating and ciao for now.